Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. Sorry for no episode yesterday, was just a little busy. But anyway, in today's episode, we're going to be going over the Red Sox past two games, the last two games against the Blue Jays, kind of preview their next month ahead, kind of their road ahead a little bit in this Astros series, pretty big series. And then I'm going to go over my reaction to the All-NBA teams and then go back to my predictions I made back in early April. Uh, about a little over a month ago, the predictions I made, see if they were right or wrong. They were, they were all right. And then my scouting report for two NBA prospects, Casey Akpala and Brandon Clark. I'm going to do more of these in the future. So, you know, for the first one, you guys can uh, check out uh, how good that was. Uh, you guys can call in if you like it or not, who you want me to do next for a scouting report. But first, we're going to start with the Boston Red Sox past two games and their road ahead. So let's get to that. All right, so first we'll start quickly with that extra innings game on Wednesday when the Red Sox won 6-5. to five. Um, The Rick Porcello start, um, pretty pretty solid game, I'd say. Um, the inconsistency was shown and blown. The fourth inning, Mitch Moreland scores. So I was talking about last episode and these episodes before. This team is so inconsistent when it comes to scoring with uh, runners in scoring position. Some games, you know, they'll it'll be two outs, runners on second and third, and both runners score. Some games there'll be no outs or one out bases loaded, and they don't muster a run. It just kind of depends on the day. Either, if either they're you know really hitting well in one inning, or they hit well to get some runners on base but can't finish. That's just kind of how it goes with this team. They hit a lot of bombs. I'll tell you that home runs. Um, but Moreland got the job done. There, uh, Ben Intendi's really just been struggling lately, but Betts had a solid game. Moreland had the one hit, the walk, two RBIs, did have that sacrifice. Uh, Bogarts was uh, six for three, uh, three for six, but obviously he had that extra innings game. Betts is a home run, then Rowdy Telez. Uh, actually, first, you know what I want to talk about? You want to talk about Brandon Workman. Brandon Workman. So he's been pretty good this year, right? But then that, that that's seventh inning, right? He lets up one, puts out one inning, that seventh inning, two hits, two walks, one earned run, one strikeout. He was in a jam. There were runners on first and second. I believe it was second and third. He let up the double, right? And at that point, Cora should just do a mound visit at least. At least a mound visit at least warms him up in the bullpen. I believe there was only one out at the time or none. You know, Workman just, you know, he didn't look like he's pitching, right? He's like 17 pitches at that point. Then he walks a guy, right? Once he walks that guy, his base is loaded, no outs. He, he, he do something about it, right? No. Cora doesn't even mount visit then. Then he walks in melee. You know that? Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but um, Luke Mail, Mailey, whatever you want to say. The catcher. Walks him, too. Walks in a run. Cora doesn't budge. Oh, that got on my nerves. Cora didn't budge. He didn't. He just sat there like, yep, we're good. What, what are you talking about? Why is he still in the game? Now, smart move by Cora because they didn't have him scoring, but you didn't budge that whole time? I probably would have been up there for a mound visit before the two walks, if not after that first walk. Then he walks another run. Cora didn't budge. 
Oh, sometimes. Like, he... Sometimes I think he takes out stars a little too soon. I know you want to save your arm, but he keeps some of those relievers in too long. And that was an example. Exhibit A was Brandon Workman. Listen, you got a little lucky there, too. Why? You don't budge. He lets up a single, a double, walk, and then walks in a run. And you don't budge? You don't have to say one thing? He did get out of it with no more base runners, but you don't budge? You don't do anything about that? Why not? Why don't you just go to the mound and just settle him down if he's not feeling right? You, you call him up. Like, you know what I'm saying? He didn't budge? Why, why wouldn't you do something about it? And I know, I know he got out of it, but that just doesn't make sense. Okay? Listen, I don't know. Maybe he just... I, I don't know. I just can't think of why he wouldn't. But anyway... Then after that, you had Walden come in, and now, how do I feel about Marcus Walden as our closer? All right, I know he struggled in that game, and you were up 4-3, to three, and then he he blew the lead in the ninth inning, almost blew it in the tenth, but he's a young pitcher. He's going to make mistakes. Craig Kimbrell, blow some games for you. He didn't even blow the game because he ended up winning anyway. I was all right with Marcus Walden because he's been really good for you. He's 30 years old. He's not young. Sorry. But, you know, he's inexperienced is what I'm trying to say. He's came up here and done you a great deal. He's pitched 28.1 innings, let up only 16 hits and five earned runs. And with a 1.59 ERA. He's been terrific. He's come out of nowhere and been terrific for you and really stepped up. You need it, I said. You need a few guys in this bullpen to step up. He's been one of them. Brandon Workman's been another. And both of them struggled that game, but... I was okay with Walden because he didn't exactly blow the game. He just sent in extra innings. And he stepped up in a big way. And, you know, he didn't totally fail. He just sent in extra innings. He ended up winning anyway. It wasn't a pretty start for Marcus Walden. But he, he you know, wasn't great. But he's done f- phenomenal this year. So I can't, I'm not complaining because it's going to happen to every pitcher. And, again, he didn't blow the game. He just sent in extra innings. Then Bits, Bet, Bits, Bets hits the home run. And then, oh, looks like we're going to win right No, Rowdy Tellez. Listen, I will be honest, did not know who Rowdy Tellez was. Barely even had a clue who this guy was. Big dude. And he's been hitting balls out of the ballpark this whole series. At the two-run, uh, two-home run game before. He's just, this guy's been hitting bombs. Ties the game back up. Then Chavis hits the uh, eventual game winner. And everything's good in Boston. And then the next game... Uh, was the one that you won eight to two against again the geez, against the Blue Jays, and you won eight to two at the Rogers Center, but you did a weird lineup, and you're doing something similar tonight against the Astros. But you did Chavis at first base leading off, which Chavis is usually playing second base, but Chavis at first base is a little odd. I find him to be a very inconsistent fielder. Sometimes he's on the highlight reel for a very good play, and sometimes on the highlight reel for an error. So he's just kind of all over the map. I don't know how to feel about him. I want to see him field the ball more. But, again, I feel like he's kind of that big hitter. Like, it's either with him, it almost feels like it's either a home run or a strikeout. You know what I'm saying? Or a, you know, feeble ground out. And the, isn't that what Mitch Moreland does? Like that, do you want two of those guys? Like, I feel like Mitch Moreland's almost like, no, Again, I'm not saying I don't want Michael Chavis because Chavis has been incredible. He's hitting 279, which you wouldn't think by the way he's playing, but that's the point. You're saying 279 is good, but it's 
around average. You're telling me his batting average has been average? Yes. Chavis has came up and done a great job. I couldn't really ask for more from a guy who comes up from Pawtucket is kind of just a panic move and comes up and is doing this. But that just kind of shows he, you know, he's a big swing guy. It's either out of the ballpark or it's a strikeout kind of type of guy like Mitch Moreland. Uh, Chavis can play second, first, and third, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. Not only second, but I feel like he's mostly just the second baseman. But anyway, you wouldn't expect that from a 5'10 guy at only 216 pounds. You wouldn't expect Chavis to be that type of guy, like big swing and miss. But how many of those guys do you want? How many guys do you need? And my other question is, if he's that type of guy, why is he hitting first? He's now played 29 games, 111 at-bats, with 10 home runs on 26 RBIs, hitting 279. So, yeah, he's, you know, hitting average, but that's not the guy that leads off for you. I know Benintendi hasn't been able to do it, and Betts has been better in the two-hole, but why bat Chavis off first? I know he's only 5'10", but he's a big swing. That's like, I don't want to say it's like this, but it's almost like batting Mitch Moreland first, except not as absurd. You know, Chavis is a little more efficient of a hitter. You know, like, he'll still get some base hits here and there. Like, he's not a, as bad as Mitch Moreland. Because Mitch Moreland, if it's not a home run, I'm not – or a double, uh, I don't know if it's a hit. Like, Chavis at least, you know, can hustle down the base path and he actually gets some, you know, good hits. Like, he's not – you know, his batting average isn't low as Mitch Moreland. But it's almost kind of like doing that. And also, those types of guys don't make sense because if he, if he's a big home run hitter or a strikeout guy, if really most of his hits are home runs, why don't you bat him like third or fourth where there's potential for a guy to be on base? Am I right? So that's that. That's that. And then you had uh, Betts hitting second as your DH that game. But again, it can change it time to time, which is nothing crazy. And then Bogart sitting third, which overall I'm okay with. I, I found Bogart hitting third a little weird, but they've done it before. And he's actually a very underrated hitter, I think. I, I still... I don't know why I, I'm not a believer in his bat. Like, I, I, I get it that he can hit, but I just don't know why. I just still, you know, he, I don't know why. He's hitting 289. Very underrated hitter for sure. But, you know, him hitting third, you know, that that's all right. And then Devers hitting fourth is totally fine. He's been slugging the ball, hitting a lot of home runs. Yeah, that makes sense. Steve Pierce fifth. Okay, and you notice I haven't said Andrew Benintendi's name yet. Steve Pierce hitting fifth. Steve Pierce, and given he had a great game, but Pierce, the guys hit 171 this season in 76 at bats. I feel like, you know, he did have a good game, but I feel like he might not be on the team by the end of the year. You know what I'm saying? Like, this guy, like, why is he hitting fifth? Is this just kind of something like morality? Yeah, we'll throw you in the five hole, make him feel a little good about himself. And then Benintendi hitting six. Now, clearly Benintendi has struggled this season. He's hitting 267. Um, over his career, he's hit 280. Again, he's only 24. But, yeah, he has struggled, especially of late. Um, again, is he really ice cold? No. But I think this is just kind of a shock to Benintendi, like, it's not going to be given to you. You got to get back on track and you'll work your way back up. I'm not too concerned with him. I think he will find a stride. Uh, and then Vasquez hitting seventh. Again, a little weird, okay? And then we have tonight's lineup. Oh, if I can find it. 
against the Houston Astros, which has already been set. You have Chavis hitting first, Betts hitting second, Bogart hitting third, Martinez hitting fourth, Pierce hitting fifth, Benintendi hitting sixth, Nunez hitting seventh, Leon hitting eighth, Bradley hitting ninth. So pretty similar. Uh, Pierce still hitting fifth. I'm just I'm all right. I'm all right with it for now. Just if you, if you throw him in there for a few games here and there, just because he did, he did have a very good game and the single double and the home run. So you know, I'm just throwing it out there. But I I that game that you won to end the series, very convincing win. Really had that uh kind of down the stretch win. You know, it was tied going into the sixth inning. He scored two in the sixth, one in the seventh, one in the eighth, three in the ninth, like 15 hits. That's great. But in the fourth inning, Ryan Weber, who had that first start, six innings pitched, three hits, one earned run, four strikeouts. Again, I'm not totally sold on one good start. Last start was before so like May 2017, so it's been a while. Again, I want to see more before I'm sold. You know, one good start against the Blue Jays, but he hits Rowdy Telez. It's an 0-2 count. You know, just tries throwing him something inside. And, you know, Rowdy kind of gives him a little stare down. Nothing bad. Like, Weber's just kind of like, ugh. You can tell he didn't try to do it. If you're, you know, you're a little, if you're a little guy like Ryan Weber, who's Weber, Weber, whatever it is, you're, you're a little guy like him. You're 6'1", but he looks a little on the mound compared to Rowdy Telez. You haven't started since May 2017. You're playing for your life at this point, right? You're playing for a roster spot. You're telling me you're going to hit that guy, especially in an 0-2 count. Nothing to be mad at him about. So, obviously, you know, Tillis gave him a little stare down, but nothing bad. Warning by the ump. The ump gives warnings to both sides. That made no sense whatsoever. I don't know if maybe you just want to make sure nothing happened, but, it, you know, if all of a sudden they start coming out, you just, oh, hold up. I don't know. But there's nothing going on. That was ridiculous. You don't call a warning. All of a sudden, no, 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 warning, warning. Just as soon as he hit, as soon as Weber hit, Telez, you can tell he's just kind of upset, like, oh, he didn't mean to do it, obviously. You know, the circumstance, sees reaction, he didn't mean to do it. Telez game a little stare down, lose our right. Warning by, from both sides, whoa, whoa, what was up with that? Nothing even happened. The guys on the other bench is like, ah, oh, he didn't mean to do it, obviously. You could tell he didn't mean to do it. Warning? Whoa, that was ridiculous. All right, slow, slow your roll. That, that was a little ridiculous right there. But Weber is 6'1", which is actually pretty tall. But compared to Rowdy Tellez, he looks like a, he looked a little tiny. Uh, but, yeah, the Red Sox 27-23. Now, your upcoming schedule, if you're a Red Sox fan, if you want to see if the Red Sox are for real, this upcoming schedule is where we're about to find out. So you're 27-23. Now, the Astros were like a little warm-up. They were like a tolerance builder. Like, you had a pretty easy schedule, but, you know, in a way, you face some tough teams. But the Astros are going to be a test for the road ahead. Now, they might be the hardest opponent out there for you. I don't know. I'd say the Astros might be the best team in baseball. But they're kind of going to get you weathered for what's ahead. Then you're going to get the Blue Jays a little break. But you have the Astros, then the Indians, then the Yankees, then the Royals, then the Rays, then the Rangers, then the Orioles, then the Twins, Blue Jays, White Sox, Yankees. All right, and then just kind of goes on. And that, oh, God, I went all the way to, uh, I went to, like, the end of July. All right, that's a little absurd. But, anyway, kind of just go up to, or this is May. 
I went to the end of June. So that's through the end of June. You're in the you know middle of late May. So you've got your five weeks. You've got your work cut out for the next five weeks. Pretty tough schedule. So again, that's the Astros. Very good team. The Indians, who I I don't know what what to say about them right now because they they're twenty five and twenty four. They're about in the same spot as you. The Indians on paper are almost as good as you, I'd say. But overall, they've been a little disappointing this year. But don't underestimate the Indians. They could definitely kind of go on a run. Because they, the, they have the ammo to do it. They just haven't exactly used it. Kind of like you. They've underachieved. Then you have the Yankees, who, I don't know, they're kind of like very inconsistent right now. But you could catch them at the wrong time. They're the Yankees. There's blood. They're still a good ball club. Four-game series there. Then you have the Royals, who are just kind of a joke. Then you have the Rays, who have been playing real good four-game series. And the Rangers, joke. Orioles, joke. Then you have the Twins, who have been hitting the ball out of the ballpark like you wouldn't imagine and have been fantastic. My friend, uh, he's a Minnesota sports fan because he's from Minnesota, or his dad is. He doesn't follow the Twins, more of a Timberwolves fan, but... He's he's pretty excited about that. But anyway, the Twins have been amazing. They're hitting the ball really well, too. Then you have the Blue Jays. Then you have the White Sox, who, you know, don't underestimate the White Sox right now. You know, I'm not going to, you know, overrate them. But 23-26, and 26, uh, they could steal a game in that series. So I'm not saying they're great, but they're not bad. They're, they're in the middle team. By then, they're probably going to be like a 450 team, I'd say. So, you know. Not, nothing to, to get scared about, but I'm not saying sleep on them like they're the Orioles. Um, and you have the Yankees again to wrap up the month with that two-game series. So you got your work cut out for you till uh, about June. Now, I ask, you right now, your divisional standings, Yankees sit in first at 32-17, and 9-1 in their last 10. Again, they've been, still been inconsistent. But they're, they're, they're on fire right now. Then you have the Rays, two games behind the Yankees, at 29-18. and 18. Then you have you at 27-23. Only three and a half games behind the Yankees, uh, Rays. And five and a half games behind the Yankees. So, let's say today, today is, let's see the date here. Today is Friday, May 24th. All right, May 24th. And we'll say June 4th, by the start of the Royal Series. If you're within three games of first place, I'll be happy. Within three games of first place. So that's basically saying maybe by then you're tied with the Rays. You know, something because that... Uh, let me just tell you why June 4th. June 4th, the start of the Royal Series, and that's when... Or June 3rd, June 2nd, it doesn't matter, because by the time that Yankee Series is over, I want to be within three games of first place. Again, because there's still a lot of baseball to play. I don't need to rush it right now. But I want to keep, you know... Right now, we're five and a half games behind them. If by the time we play them again, you know, beginning of June, so like two and a half weeks. If In the next two and a half weeks, we have a tough schedule, you have to remember. We can get two and a half games closer to the Yankees. That'll be great because right now the Yankees are on fire and you have a tough schedule. So if we're within three games of the Yankees in first place, or maybe it's the Rays, but three games within first place, I'll be a happy man because, again, the Yankees are on fire. You have a tough schedule. Uh, Games, series I'm going to highlight, this Astros series. and You only have three. Well, it's the, these three series, the Astros, the Indians, and Yankees. So within the next three series, by the time that's over, that's a tough schedule. Astros, very good team. Yankees, 
Very good team. Indians, I don't know what to say because they're a solid team on paper, but they haven't exactly played to it, kind of like you. So that's a solid team. Very good team, solid team, very good team. Very tough schedule. So if you can actually go ahead two and a half games in your division, catch up with the Yankees a little bit, I'll be happy. Then you got the Royals. And you can, you know, catch up a little ground there as well. So that's kind of my state of mind with the Red Sox right now. It's a very, very long segment. Um, wow, I rambled on about the Red Sox for a long time. Jeez. All right, so now, long episode, doesn't hurt. So now we are going to get to the all-NBA teams and look at my predictions I made back in, like, or April, like, 13th, I think it was. Uh, anyway, it was an episode I made a, a while ago. So if you think I'm lying about some of these, you can go check. I got it straight from that episode. So uh, let's dive into that. All right, so if you're an NBA fan by now, you probably know the all-NBA teams. But in case you don't, I'll just read it off to you because uh, why not? So the thir- all-NBA third team was Russell Westbrook, Kemba Walker, LeBron James, Blake Griffin, and Rudy Gobert. The All-NBA second team was Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, and Joel Embiid. And then the first team was Steph Curry, James Harden, Paul George, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikola Jokic. So, yeah, that's kind of those three teams right there. I'm sure you already knew, just giving you a little refresher real quick. So, first, we'll start with the All-NBA third team. My prediction was for the All-NBA third team, Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, LeBron James, Blake Griffin, Anthony Davis. Not bad, three out of five. Three out of five is not bad. I think it's my worst performance out of all three of the teams on here. But what did I get wrong, you're wondering? Well, I got wrong Kyrie Irving, made the All-NBA second team. I had him on the third team. Uh, My bad. And then Anthony Davis was a big one. Davis only received, I think, two votes. So, yeah, Davis was nowhere even close to making the team. Uh, it was probably my worst, definitely my worst prediction on here. So it said um, he received no first or second team votes, and I believe he received what? Uh, yeah, he received one third team vote. One, one third team vote. Carl Anthony Towns received twenty and didn't even make it. So that that just shows you how far. Uh, let's see, Rudy Gobert, who made the team, received eighty nine. Um, 13 votes, I believe that's what it is, right? No, 69 13 votes. He received 69 13 votes. Anthony Davis received one. So that's how far off, that's how bad that prediction was. Coming up forward, I made a horrible prediction there. Again, was Anthony Davis really that far off from making the team? No. But I can see why now, um, because my first reaction was, oh, I think Carl Anthony Towns should have made it over Rudy Gobert. I didn't think Anthony Davis, because I'm getting these from the predictions I made previously. And then I Kyrie Irving, I put Russell Westbrook on the All-NBA second team. So that's three out of five so far. And then on the second team, I put Damian Lillard, Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid. That's perfect except for Russ. I have to switch Russ and Kyrie around. And then my first team, I have Steph Curry, James Harden, Paul George, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Nicole Jokic. That was perfect. I think most people had at least four out of five on that because Nicole Jokic and Joel Embiid were very debatable. And I said Nicole Jokic, I remember I said in the episode, and I still stick to that word, is because I believe Nicole Jokic deserved it and had a slightly better year because think about it. Joel Embiid was better defensively. 
And scoring the basketball, maybe Joel is a little better, but Jokic was uh, in rebounding. But Jokic was a better um, pass, much better passer. And think about it, Jokic and Joel Embiid, a lot of this was team success. All right? Nicole Jokic, Joel Embiid, both the leaders of their teams. Now, Joel Embiid overall probably had the better team, right? Nicole Jokic had the much deeper team, but more star power for Joel to support him in an easier conference. And Nicole Jokic's team finishes a better record, higher seed, and the tougher conference with a worse team. So that was the big difference there for me. And overall, so I got 14 out of the 15 players right and 12 out of my 15 predictions. Again, Anthony Davis was way off, but other than that, all I got wrong was Kyrie Irving and Russell Westbrook vice versa. So if you ask me, that's a very good performance. Again, a very short segment there after that big Red Sox segment. But there's not a, a whole lot to talk about there. Obviously, you have the Clay Thompson thing. Clay Thompson, his sorry about that. Clay Thompson's reaction to Kemba Walker making was a little ridiculous. Kemba had the better season than yeah, and I know he was probably mad, like he misses out on the supermax deal, which I think is kind of hurting the NBA more than it is helping it. Um, but Clay, you know what? I'm glad he he you know is calling himself one of the best guards because it show in the league because it shows self confidence. But but. Kemba Walker had the better season. You got to go respect that. I didn't like the eye roll. I just didn't like it. So, yeah, let's just kind of quickly talking about that. So, now I'm going to get my scouting reports for KZ, Akpala, and Brandon Clark, starting with KZ, Akpala. So, let's get to that. All right. So, here's my scouting report for KZ, Akpala. So, in case you don't know who this is, again, I said at the beginning of the episode, I'm going to do more of these because I really like kind of doing scouting reports. I find this a really interesting guy draft class, and KZ Akpala is one of my favorite prospects. Uh, so his draft profile here, KZ Akpala, uh, he is a sophomore out of Stanford. He just turned 20 years old on April 28th, so he spent two years in Stanford. Uh, he's a small forward slash shooting guard standing at six foot nine and a half with a seven foot one wingspan uh, along with three uh, – Again, I, I guess you could just say seven foot one point seventy five, uh, th- three or four quarters, if you will. I, why can't I say that word? I say it all the time. Three out of four. Like, basically, he rounded up. He has a seven foot two wingspan, and he's six ten. But he's six nine and a half, seven one and three fourths for a wingspan, and he's weighing in at two hundred fifteen pounds. Has a good thirty seven inch vert. Uh, vertical, if you will. And here were his sophomore stats in Stanford. He had 29 games played, and he started all of those 29 games, averaging 32.7 minutes a game, scoring 16.8 points per game, averaging two assists a game, 5.7 rebounds a game, shot 46% from the field, 37% from three, 67% from the free throw line. He had one steal a game and half a block a game, so 0.5 blocks a game rounding up to about one uh, block every two games. So, um, yeah, those are pretty good stats for a sophomore at Stanford. I really like him, underrated prospects. So here's my scouting report on him offensively, defensively, uh, and then I got my little, uh, you know, all, all around my draft protection from his ceiling and floor, even though if you know me, my ceiling and floor, realistically, any player can be the there's every player's ceiling is the best player in the world, and every uh, player's floor is the worst player in the world. That just 
technically that's how it works, but I'll do a ceiling and floor anyway because, you know, being realistic, I guess. But offensively, here's my scouting report. Casey Akpala can really do a lot offensively. He has a great frame with a great wingspan of his. Plus, he's an explosive athlete that can dribble the basketball, especially in tight spaces, making him a nightmare driving to the hoop in transition and as well as in open court. Despite only shooting 23% from three as a freshman, Akpala came out last year with a much improved three-point shot and made himself a threat from behind the arc. Casey Paul is also very comfortable with the ball in his hands, and he is very quick with one of the quicker first steps in the class, the draft class, which is one of the reasons he's such a nightmare going to the hoop. He can also get to the free throw line at a very good rate. He just needs to hit more of his free throws as, as it was a problem in college. Another problem was going to the hoop. hoop. I want to see him finish through contact a lot better, but... To end on a positive note, he is a good rebounder, especially thanks to his length. So again, also, he is a little skinny, I will add that. So I forgot to do side notes for Casey Apollo because of my first scouting report. And for Brandon Clark, it's a little more uh, prepared. I you know I added side notes, kind of like what is his attitude, work ethic, all of that. Um, but Casey Apollo, again, just a little strength and conditioning camp, like could help him become a better finisher. Uh, maybe even a little more strength to get a quicker release. Who knows? It would just go far away for him. Defensively, uh, here's why Akpala has a few more. Here's where Akpala has a few more problems defensively. Akpala is a very versatile defender with his quickness and wingspan. Obviously, when you're set, you know, he has a very long wingspan, so obviously he's going to be a versatile defender. All right. But he still has to polish up his game defensively. Many people believe, including myself, that Akpala has the tools to become a better defender. He can guard positions two, point, 2 through 4, so guard, small forward, power forward, and even a little point guard at times. He just needs to polish up his defensive game, get stronger, and be more aggressive at the defensive end. He mostly struggles against stronger and quicker ball handlers going to the hoop. I really saw him struggle against Lugan Stort, who's much shorter, but stronger and pretty quicker, and he struggled. So that's um, Lugan Stewart. He played at Arizona State. I watched uh, Casey Akpala's highlights, and he really struggled. Again, the thing with Casey Akpala is he's not that strong, but it's going to be hard for someone stronger and quicker uh, for him in college to size up. Like Lugan Stewart was just a you know very quick, short but quick and strong player. And in college, Casey Akpala wasn't going to find that a lot. He might find a lot of players stronger than him, but there weren't too many quicker. But at the NBA level – Almost everyone's going to be stronger than him, and a lot of players are going to be quicker than him as well. So that's one thing that really scares me is because in college, there weren't a lot of players who were quicker than him. But if he stays at that strength, there are going to be a lot of players that are quicker than him at the NBA level. Not all of them, but some. So he's going to struggle a lot. He needs to put those tools together. I think the defensive game is one of the big things. Like he has, He could really figure that out. He has the tools. He's very versatile. He has the potential, but will he figure it out? Because if he doesn't, that could really hurt him in the long run. So I don't want to overrate him, but I'd really like to see him go to a strength and conditioning camp and work on his strength and polish up his defensive game and give a better effort. Um, and again, I really hate doing floor ceiling because, again, their ceiling is the best player in the world, floor is the worst player in the world. This is my belief because anything can happen in my mind. I always leave the door crack open. 
I consistently say that. But his ceiling is Trevor Ariza with a little higher gear and a little more uh, talented offensively. Uh, Trevor Ariza has that long wingspan, is a versatile defender. Uh, you know, you see the similarities. I mean, just look up. You know, statistically, like Ariza has some sort of a three ball as well. You know, kind of, kind of just does a little bit of everything offensively, but is mo- mostly known for his defense. Akpala right now might be known for his offense, but I think he could end up just coming into the NBA and being more known for his defense. We'll see. I think he'll be like a Trevor Ariza with a little more, you know, b- better athlete, a little more of a flashy game as a ceiling, like a little bit of a better Trevor Ariza. Let's just say that, especially on the offensive end, he'll be upgraded. Maybe not as good as defensively. Like we'll see. He has the potential to be as good defensively, but again, a little more explosive, fun to watch, better offensively than Trevor Ariza is for I, his floor is Bruno Cablaco. I don't know how to pronounce it, but he plays for the Toronto Raptors. Actually pretty underrated. I believe he's only 23 or 24, and he averaged like 23 minutes a night when he did play for Toronto. But, again, he hasn't really done too much. I don't even think he played a lot. I'm not really too sure. I'll look it up right now. But, anyway, I, I forget because I did look. Like, who would be a good – but um, he has a huge wingspan. Seven foot seven wingspan is Bruno which is actually it's absolutely ridiculous. He is the same height as um, Casey Akpala, just with a six-inch uh, wider wingspan, which is crazy, but it shows he has that versatility. But, yeah, he played – well, he played in Memphis for some of this season. He was on Toronto. Um, I don't know why I thought he's on Toronto. Some of those things I saw, but 34 games this season, um, dropped 8.3 points per game. At only age 23, so yeah, I was right, almost turning 24. But anyway, that's kind of his ceiling right there. Like, you know, not a, not a great player, plays every once in a while. Like, doesn't, it's not going to have a great NBA career. It could even be lower than that to the point where he never even plays, but I don't, I don't want to go that far. So now I'll get to my scouting report for Brandon Clark. All right, so now that I wrapped up my scouting report for Casey Paul, I have the scouting report for Brandon Clark. Now, this one, again, I have some side notes to kind of tell you about his work ethic, all of that kind of thing. It's only a few notes, but just, you know, maybe a little more you could say. But uh, Brandon Clark, again, another underrated uh, player. Also, my draft prediction, I forgot about that. My draft projection for Casey Paula is either he could go literally actually – it's high. I doubt he will, but he can go as high as right outside the lottery, like a few picks outside the lottery, or late first round. I don't really see him going into second round. So a few people do. I don't see him slipping all the way to second round. If he does, I'd be surprised, but uh, late first round to right outside the lottery, he'd really go anywhere between there. He's kind of a wild card, but then there's Brandon Clark, who uh, is a little more uh, probably going to go a little higher, uh, but still an underrated player. Brandon Clark... Um, was a redshirt junior out of Gonzaga. Um, he plays both big man positions, power forward or a small ball five. Uh, 22 years old already, which has to hurt his draft stock a little, uh, already 22. But he is 6'8 and 1 fourth, and he has a 6'10 wingspan and a vertical of 40 and a half inches, which is crazy. Absolutely crazy vert. And his junior year stats was last year's stats. He actually played at San Jose, San Jose State for his first two college years. And that's why he's a redshirt junior at Gonzaga because he transferred over. And his junior year stats, 37 games played, started 36 of those games. Averaged 16.9 points per game, 1.9 assists per game, 8.6 rebounds per game. Shot 69% from the field. Very efficient. 
uh, 27% from three, 69% from the free throw line, averaged only one and a half turnovers a game, uh, got 1.2 steals per game, 3.2 blocks per game. Yes, he's a monster on defense. Offensive scouting report, Brandon Clark offensively is someone who can play power forward or be your small ball five. He creates most of his scoring on the low post when he's a pretty decent scorer, where he's a pretty decent scorer as well as a strong finisher that isn't afraid to throw it down. He is also very good from wait, yeah. He is also very good from mid-range at a very efficient 53% shooting clip, but he can be reluctant or hesitant to take those mid-range jumpers. He also needs to improve at the free throw line. Although he has changed his form at the free throw line, which is a nice first step but he's still only 69% from the free throw line. And when you're a big man, is a, you know, he, he can get aggressive down there and throw it down. Like, if he's going to the line, he needs to hit those at a better, a little bit of a better clip. Uh, when it comes to three-point shooting, though, he definitely needs to improve. His range just isn't there yet, and it may be his biggest weakness. Again, he's such a good low-post scorer, and he's great, uh, like, off-ball motions. He's great off scoring on those, too. And if he can just become a little less reluctant for mid-range, I don't think the three-ball will be hurt him too much. I know today's NBA seems like everyone needs a three-ball, but a player like Brandon Clark, he's going to be a beast defensively, you know, good player on the low block, and all these things. I don't think the three-ball will hurt him too much if he doesn't have it. Uh, again, I'd try to work on it if I were him, but all right. And then when it comes to passing, he's slightly under average. He's no flashy passer, but he is decent when it comes to the basic easy passes. His ball handling also needs a lot of work, but keep in mind he's a big man, so it's not the biggest deal. He can also get careless on offense. Yeah, he can get a little careless on offense. Also, as I said, I didn't uh, – well, I added this in, but – He's a good off-ball uh, off ball motion scorer, uh, which is in pretty impressive for a uh, big man. And then defensively, uh, where he's a little better. Uh, not bad offensively, he's just really a beast of defense. One of the best in college. Defensively, this kid is a beast and one of the best defenders in college basketball. See, told you. Which is... Which, the more I think about it, really covered up Hachimara's defensive problems. I actually, when I was typing this, I was in the middle of typing the sentence and then I said, wait... Hachimar is bad at defense, but he doesn't really get exposed for it. That's why Brandon Clark covers it up. Just saying, that's my opinion uh, on that. When I was typing it, I added that in. And then Brandon Clark is a very good vertical and is an elite shot blocker. I'd say more than elite, he's a gifted shot blocker. Uh, now that the more that I think about it, I might go back and change that. Uh, who can also get some steals. He's also a very good rebounder with and is a very explosive and is very explosive and quick, especially for his size. For his size, he really runs the floor well and has great footwork. Despite being a big man, he is still terrific. He is still a terrific on-ball defender who can consistently stay with his man. He also always fights for position inside the paint, and he does it well. At times, though, he can be undisciplined defensively, but he's still one of the be best defenders in this draft class. So here's some uh, – that's kind of defensively a uh, quick wrap there. Obviously, I didn't go really, really in detail. I think I covered uh, this pretty well, obviously. You could probably go somewhere and pick up some more notes here and there, but for the most part, I think I got the very good overview on it. I uh, did some good research on this. So side notes, these are things that contribute offensively and defensively and just overall to his game. Very good athlete. 
Uh, obviously, when you're a good shot blocker, there's a game with the 40 and a half inch for a good chance you're a good athlete. Uh, he has a very high motor, high basketball IQ, doesn't make many mistakes. Again, only one and a half turnovers. And he has a great work ethic, which, you know, is a great thing to hear. Most good defenders, uh, defensive minded players, have good work ethics. Um, I think his ceiling is a prime Kenyon Martin. I think it could even be a little over that the more that I think about it, maybe a little better even defensively than Kenyon Martin was. Um, I just think Martin in his prime, you know, wasn't what well, he was a good scorer, but like, you know, I just don't know, you know, Brandon Clark, this is a ceiling. Think about it. Uh, Kenyon Martin's highest scoring season was 16.7 points. So I say that's fair because Brandon Clark averaged 16.9 points per game in college. I don't think Clark's going to be a beast offensively, but I could see him slipping in there for a few of those types of seasons where he scores around 16, 17 points per game. And then defensively, though, Kenyon Martin wasn't that great. So that's kind of where my dilemma is. Um is he's a prime Kenyon Martin with a better defensive game. Um, again, I'd say that's a pretty fair, you know, estimate though. They had around this, they had the same height around the same wingspan. So, and they were both, you know, Brandon Clark, my draft production for him is late lottery to right outside the lottery. And Kenyon Martin was the first overall pick. It wasn't exactly a bust, but so they're going to both probably be picked some, somewhat high, but that didn't really play a huge uh, factor in it for me. It was just that offensively, his ceiling would be around the same number as Kenny Martin, just a better defensive player. And then I think his floor is a Larry Nance. So the point where, yeah, he's not a bad shot blocker, but that's really all he does. Doesn't do too much scoring. He's just kind of an afterthought uh, when it really comes down to it. Uh, kind of a bummer, but i say Larry Nance would be um, his uh, – Floor. I, I hope Brandon Clark gets picked in the um, lottery. I think he deserves it. I could really see him going to Charlotte. I've heard they're very interested in him. I kind of ho- I'm been hoping lately that the Celtics pick him at 14 because it sounds like he'll be there. Obviously, if someone else falls down there, maybe I take them. But realistically, I, I, I want a big man probably because it doesn't really seem like a good point guard will be around that time. So I'm kind of hoping we get Brandon Clark, uh, beast defensively, solid offensive player. I really like him, and Casey Akpala. So we're going to do more of those scouting reports, calling on the Anchor mobile app about anything or the next player you want me to do a scouting report on. I'm going to do a few in a future episode. I really like doing them. I'm going to share a lot of those scouting reports with you guys. So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed. Also, go follow my Instagram, After the Buzzer Sports Talk. No uppercase, all spaces. Again, that's After the Buzzer Sports talk no uppercase all no spaces at all so no uppercase no spaces so thank you guys for listening uh and i'll see you next time